four times this summer. And uh, we are going over a series on spiritual gifts. And uh, spiritual gifts, we think, are something that are weighty and important, something worth our time. And two weeks ago, we discussed the purpose of spiritual gifts. And we said that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the temple. The church, church is a temple, and that spiritual gifts are for growing us and developing us. And we said that spiritual gifts are patterned after the skilled craftsmen who constructed the temple in the Old Testament. So just as they build up the temple with their abilities, we use the gifts of the Spirit to build each other up. And as we're doing this, we're working and chiseling and crafting on each other to see the image of Christ formed and developed in each one of us. So this temple image is a very controlling metaphor for understanding spiritual gifts. Today we're going to look a little bit differently at another aspect of gifts. We're going to look at the role of love in spiritual gifts. Uh, love is a very important part. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible written about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And what I find so interesting is that the Apostle Paul, in all that he has written, all 13 letters, all the topics he's covered, nowhere else is he more rhetorically sophisticated, more passionate than in his description of love motivating and driving our spiritual gifts. And so what we want to examine today is why. Why is Paul so excited? What gets him so motivated? So I'm going to read our passage. If you have a bulletin, you can follow along. If you don't, you can listen to me. This comes from the last line in chapter 12 from 1 Corinthians and in all of chapter 13. And I will show you, I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I have to deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, and then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. But these three, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, we are eager to hear from you and to meet with you and to learn about you right now. So we pray for your spirit that he would be here present teaching us, uh, inclining our hearts towards you, uh, that we would be eager to not only hear but to obey. pray this in your son's name. Amen. So we're talking about gifts and the role of love in gifts from a very well-known passage. Uh, this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, has maybe been read at your wedding. 
Uh, you've probably read it in books. Uh, you might have uh, fridge magnets that have different quotes from it in your kitchen. Uh, these are all getting at the fact that this passage, that love means a lot to us. What we sometimes miss is that this passage fits into a larger discourse on spiritual gifts. And what is being described here is one of the ways, one of the aspects of using our gifts, namely using our gifts in love. So I'm going to focus on three things that Paul gets at. Uh, the first is the need for love, that we, that we have to actually have love when we're using our gifts. The second is the character of love, what love actually is. And the third is the permanence of love. We're going to take each of these in turn. First, we're going to examine the need for love. One, one of the things that Paul says is that it's absolutely necessary that we exercise our gifts in love. It's not enough to simply have an ability to serve other people. It's not enough to even be motivated by love. What is envisioned here is that our gifts are being exercised in a life that is wholly given over to love. You see this in verse 29, the first verse listed in our bulletin. Let me read it to you. It says, I will show you a still more excellent way. And this word way here is, is describing something more than just habits or more than just behaviors but an entire life that is characterized by love. And chapter 13 goes on to describe what this way is. I think this idea challenges us a little bit. We live in a culture that is very obsessed with expertise and abilities. Uh, just a few miles south of us, you have the Google Seattle. With all the Googles, you have a number of professionals. Uh, there are countless unending vocational conferences and books and coaches that you can hire. All of these meant to help grow your expertise in something. And I think we take this preference for skills and abilities and apply it to spiritual gifts as well. One of the things this passage challenges us is to remember not to neglect love. The fact that love is something key and, and foundational to using our gifts. There are a couple unexpected things that happen when we don't have love in our exercising of gifts. One of the things that's described is that uh, we cannot bear fruits without love. Uh, love is something that animates and empowers our gifts and makes them fruitful. This is what actually helps us to accomplish our goal in using our gifts of building each other up. This is what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What is being said is that you could somehow have this ability to speak in another language describe the gospel, or even speak in some type of heavenly celestial language, but if you don't have love, you're just going to end up being a nuisance to people. You're just going to be a bother to people. I have the image of, of tools in my mind if you think of a power tool. You might have a tool that has all the right parts, everything fits together perfectly well, and yet if it's not plugged into a socket, if it doesn't have a power source, it's going to be completely useless. And our, our spiritual gifts are the same thing. They our love is the power source that makes them actually work, make them, makes them useful. What is more striking about this passage, though, is that without love, we actually become our gift. And this, this is kind of weird, but what Paul is saying here is that we, it's more than just a matter of being a noisy gong or being a bother to people, but that we actually become a noisy gong is what he's saying. And this might sound odd until we think about our own experiences, and this is something that we've seen a lot. Uh, one of the ways I've seen this, certainly as a graduate student, is in people who are gifted at learning and study. 
you take someone who is, say, gifted at study, uh, and they're not particularly loving, they're, they're self-absorbed, they're arrogant, uh, very quickly these people become obsessed with everything having to be intellectual. Everything has to be interesting to them. Uh, they're always looking for, for people to be as stimulating as they are. And it's not surprising, it's not hard to see Paul's point here, that when you think about these people, they actually are just a mind. They are kind of a, a, a brain on a stick in a way. Everything about them is they've become consumed by their gift. And so it's very important for us to be operating out of love. It's interesting also that love uh, is what gives us flavor. It's what makes us interesting to people. Uh, you know that the person who's self-absorbed, who's obsessed with their gift, is not attractive to people. But the person who is loving, who's, whose life doesn't revolve around them, actually attracts people. And they're interesting to people. And so love has this unique ability to draw other people to us, to make us kind of more full-bodied, to make us more multidimensional. So Paul talks about our need for love. Their gifts need to be flowing out of, life, of a life marked by love. And that love makes us fruitful and productive, and it even makes us more full-bodied people. But Paul doesn't end there trying to describe our need for love. He also talks about the character of love, what love actually is. And I was thinking about coming up with some little quippy definition of love, some little five words or something. And I thought it's really interesting that the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible never has some little quippy five-word definition of love. In fact, it, what it does is it does stuff like in our passage where it's a whole bunch of nouns describing love. We'll say something like love is, is similar to this thing, this action that people are doing. And so what that means for us is if we want to examine love, uh, we're going to have to get at a few features of it uh, rather than hoping to have some quick little definition. One of the things that we see that love is, is that love is submitting to another person for their benefit. Love is giving up your agendas your rights, your claims of something for the benefit of another person. So you see there's these two sides of it. There's submission, and then there's also service and love. Uh, submission is saying that uh, we are not going to force somebody to bend their will towards us, but we're actually going to give up a right to control things and bend our wills to somebody else. And then service is saying that what we're going to do is our goal is to benefit somebody, to build somebody up. You see this in our passage in verse 4 where Paul talks about patience and kindness. Uh, he says that patience is, is kind of the submission side. It's a refusal to treat people how we think they should be treated. And then kindness is choosing to bless that person despite that. So submission and service both are important features of love. I know this, this might sound a little abstract, kind of submission, things like this, so, so I'll give you an example or two. Uh, this spring for me, I had a lot of conflict with people, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hard conversations I had to say with people and some hard things I had to say. And I thought I was, I was pretty gentle and thoughtful but also firm in how I had these conversations. Uh, and most of them went pretty well, but there was one person that came back to me and they said, I'd like to meet with you. And I said, what are we going to meet about? And they said, we'll talk. And, and what happened when we met was they just unloaded on me. It was kind of this, this machine gun. I felt like I was just sitting there where somebody was taking a machine gun on me. And as I was listening, I was like, you know, there's a little thing here or two, you know, that's kind of right. But for the most part, I, you know, I didn't agree with it. In fact, I, I thought I was being kind of treated unjustly, it even felt like. And I was sitting there, I was kind of wondering, how do I, what do I do with this? 
And it dawned on me that this person uh, was really just hurt, that they, they, were, they were upset. And what was going on was just them kind of unloading that anger. And God was very kind, and in that moment I was thinking, um, you know, I can take a hit, I can suffer an injustice if it means this person doesn't have to struggle with chronic bitterness. I'm, I'm willing to let this person unload on me for a little bit if it means that uh, this person won't have to be struggling with a, a particular sin chronically. And so over that conversation, I listened and I asked questions. Um, I even in the middle of the conversation, I was saying, you're doing a great job when they're faltering, encouraging them on. And when that, when that ended, I kind of, I thought, this is so unnatural for me. <laughs> this is not, not how I'm used to acting at all. I'm honestly a, a very prideful person who is very quick to defend myself. But God was very uh, gracious to me and very kind to me and allowed me to both submit to the person and to serve them. Sub- submit to the person in the sense of not having to defend myself, not having to be in the right, not having to have all the facts straight, and also to do it for the benefit and the of building of this other person. I think this idea of love as submission is, is something that's pretty rare. Uh, many times in our culture we mistake love for uh, niceness, being, being an amiable person, doing some favors for people. But this true Christ-like love is something that's pretty rare and uncommon. One of, one of the uh, verses that I've been meditating on recently is 1 John 3, 1. And let me read it to you. It says, See what love the Father uh, has for us, that we might be called children of God. And we are. Now, I've got to geek out for you with the Greek just for a moment. But um, that, that first word, see, is an imperative. It's a command. He's saying, stop what you're doing. Let me get your attention. I want you to notice something. And then that second word is, is potapos. And it's, it's saying, not just what, like a question, but it's saying, of what world is this thing that, that this love is? It's saying that this love of God is something so otherworldly, so unlike anything that we've seen before. Uh, it can, it's, there's nothing familiar or natural about it. And this love that we see, this Christ-like love, is most clearly expressed in the mission of Christ. It's God himself giving up his glory, giving up his throne to become a nobody. It's the fact that he went into his world and had a right to be noticed and had a right to be taken seriously, but he gave all that up. And when he was on the cross, he was brutalized and yet voluntarily submitted to it. He had every right. We would say what was happening to Jesus on the cross was an injustice. It didn't have to happen. And he had every right to snap his fingers, think a thought, come down from the cross, maybe call down a legion of angels to protect him, to take care of him, and yet Jesus does none of this. This love is is something so startling and otherworldly, and it's this very love that is actually being put into our hearts by the Spirit and is being expressed in our lives as we serve each other with our gifts. So love is, is submitting to another person for their benefit. Love is also giving ourselves to another person. What we're doing in love, when we love each other with our gifts, is we are offering our very selves to one another in service. Uh, I need to geek out again with some of the cultural context. And what's going on here, when Paul is talking about gifts, is he's borrowing an idea from the Greco-Roman world about how gifts were given. In our culture, when you give a gift, it's maybe on a birthday, 
It's maybe, um, you know, holidays, something like that. Maybe as a thank you for something. But in antiquity, gifts were given as a way of establishing relationship with somebody. What you would do is you would give a gift to somebody, and that was a way of initiating and binding that person in relationship with you. It was also important that gifts were reciprocal, that someone would give a gift back. You would give a gift, initiating relationship. And then they would also give a gift back to you, deepening the relationship. And there was this giving and taking of gifts. Then lastly, importantly, gifts were only given to people who were worthy. And so you wanted to be very discriminating in who you gave a gift to, since it affected your reputation. Now what does this mean for our passage? Well, it means that Paul is operating out of this idea of gift-giving when he talks about spiritual gifts. He is saying that gifts have this purpose of building communities and relationships. But there's some important differences. One is that gifts, the way Paul talks about it, is it's not just skills or abilities. Uh, gifts are actually our very selves. If, if you think of Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul at different times doesn't talk about, say, a teaching ability. He talks about a teacher. He doesn't just talk about a prophetic ability. He talks about a prophet. And what's being envisioned here is that when we're serving each other with our gifts, we are offering our very selves to another person to bind them in relationship. And what we're doing is that that person will then in turn give themselves back to us in relationship. And there's another important difference. Not only do we give our very selves to each other, but we also are giving ourselves to people who are unworthy. We don't serve the people who are the biggest somebodies in a community. We're serving people based out of grace and love for another person. This is very important that this new relationships that are founded, these new communities that are developed out of using our gifts have a whole new metric for worth and value. Your value is no longer in whether you're talented and successful, whether you're attractive or charming and witty, whether you're intelligent. Your value is created by the gospel. It's now being created by somebody giving themselves to you. So the question we have to ask ourselves is as we are using our gifts, are we just doing commando runs in the people's lives? Or are we actually giving them relationship? You know, are, we, are we just running into somebody's life and saying, I'll do you a quick favor, I'll help you out with something? Or are we also offering those people a friendship? We also have to be, have to be asking ourselves, uh, not only are we offering relationship, but are we also uh, doing it to people that are based on uh, old standards of worth or new standards of worth? Are we just doing it to the people that are uh, the most interesting uh, people, the people that make us feel the best about ourselves, or are we serving people that don't matter in our society? I had a person this last year in my life who was just kind of grinding my gears a little bit. And I was, I was stuck with them. They had this ability just to kind of hit all my buttons at once. And I, I couldn't get away. And for a number of months, I was just indifferent to the person. I thought to myself, I'm not going to bother with this person. To be totally frank with you, I, I resented the person privately. And I, I didn't really want anything to do with them. And, and in the spring, God really began to convict me on this. And I realized that what I was doing was so loveless. That really, the Christ's love is love for the people that we find unlovely, and yet there was none of that in me. 
And so I got practical. I, I pulled out a sheet of paper and I said, uh, I'm going to write down all the good qualities of this person. And I wrote down and I started writing out all the things I really thought were admirable about this person. And when I wrote this list, I was kind of like, huh, there's actually a lot of good things about this person. There's a lot of things I never really noticed because I was ignoring all those things. And then what happened is I said, I'm going to go give that person really sincere compliments. You know, I'm going to go start saying things that I really enjoy and admire about that person. And started doing this, and as I was happening, something was happen changing in my heart. I began to actually feel open to the person. I began to actually feel warm towards them, and I started buying them little, little trinkets and gifts and stuff, and nothing fancy, but as all this was happening, God was changing my heart. And one of the, the core things was happening was I was being brought into this relationship with a person that I thought didn't have any value. And suddenly now I thought they had immense value. I thought they were incredibly valuable. This is what happens when we use our gifts to build each other up. We are ascribing and investing value and worth in each one of us. And we're creating whole new communities that have new standards of worth and significance. It's not surprising that this love, this giving of ourselves to other people, originates from God himself. Each member of the Trinity is offering their very persons to each other. Jesus offered himself to his Father to be an instrument for redemption. When Christ was coronated, he was offered the entire Spirit. And then Christ takes the Spirit and pours out the Spirit on us. God offers us his very self. And what do we do with that? We offer God ourselves back. We offer our lives as a gift back to God. And this mutual giving and taking deepens and establishes our relationship. We've looked at love and, and seen how it's diverse. It involves things like submitting our wills to other people. It involves strange things like offering ourselves to other people. There's another aspect of love that Paul talks about, and that is the permanence of love. Part of Paul's argument here is that spiritual gifts are temporary. Uh, spiritual gifts, they don't last forever, but they belong to a unique age in history between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And so what, why is this? Well, we said last couple weeks ago that spiritual gifts were for temple building. So this is just a speculative thought, but it might be because right now the church is in the middle of being built up. Uh, that we are using our gifts to build each other up. And when Christ returns, uh, the temple, the church, will be consummated. He will bring down the heavenly temple to fill out and finish the church. But why does this matter for us? Uh, why does Paul think this is worth mentioning in a discussion of love and gifts? And I think it's because in each of us, there is a longing for legacy. We each desire to give ourselves to something that will outlast all the work, all the projects, even our very lives. We desire to have a name that, was, that outlasts the things we do. And this desire for legacy might sound a little vain, uh, but it's something that Scripture itself affirms. It says in Ecclesiastes that a good reputation, a legacy, is more valuable than fine perfume. This desire for legacy, for something to last and to be permanent in the work we do is a very important thing that God himself has given us. And what is being said here is that when we give ourselves in love to each other, using our gifts to build each other up, we are establishing a, real, a true a spiritual legacy. 
something that will last. And the things we do for out of selfishness won't last. They'll be impermanent. The Apostle Paul sheds some light on this, uh, this in his discussion of the temple in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, and he's talking about spiritual gifts, uh, building up the temple. And he says things like, uh, we're using our gifts. He's using his gifts. Some of his colleagues are using their gifts to develop and, and build each other up. And that when Christ returns in judgment, he's going to examine all of our work. And we're going to be accountable in the things we've done to, to see uh, to test its quality. And the things that last will be the things that are done in love and in the name of Christ. And the things that don't last are the things that we've done in selfishness for each other. And so what, what is being described here is that if we want to establish a legacy, a legacy that will last through Christ's return, it's, it happens through loving each other with our spiritual gifts. When I was 20 years old, I, I read this thin little book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called A Life Together. Uh, some of you might have read that. I see some nodding heads. And it was very ironic that I read this book because when I was 20, I was a self-identified atheist. And the last thing you would expect me to do was to be reading a conservative pastor in his book. But what was going on there was that I read something that really struck me. And when I read it, I knew that it was true. And Bonhoeffer said that you could be a really, really nice person and you could still not be loving. And he even went further than that. He said you could be a really nice person and you could be spiritually and morally bankrupt. Now it's pretty shocking to me. And he, he went on to describe love as this submission, this, this surrendering of ourselves, our desires to each other. And what I was encountering was this potapos love, this, this love that was otherworldly, something that was unlike everything else I had experienced. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. And years later, this love would be more than a source of intrigue for me. It would be something that I would experience and receive. And this is why Paul is so excited. This is why he's, he's jumping down in our chapter. It's not because he's discovered something amazing about human love, but he, in this, he's discovered the love of God towards himself. Let's pray. Father, we 